All right, welcome to the Sooners Extra Twitter Space slash podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on a Wednesday afternoon. Sorry about the scheduling uh, issue earlier. This is Ryan Aber, joined by Justin Martinez and columnist Jenny Carlson and Barry Trammell. Here to talk a little bit about OU football, and especially uh, the game Saturday against Baylor. Uh, Jenny, we'll start with you since you uh, weren't with us in Ames on Saturday. We've seen uh, Oklahoma's season turn a little bit around with these last couple wins. Look like their defense played a whole lot better on Saturday at least. How much better do you get the sense this defense is now versus the one we saw during the three-game losing streak? I mean, I think this week's going to be very telling. Um, You know, beating Kansas and beating Iowa State, um, obviously coming into both of those games, you could have seen the Sooners losing both. You know, we didn't know about Dylan Gabriel's situation coming into Kansas. How would he play? How healthy would he be? Um, How much, you know, rust would he show after being out? And then the question of, Um, You know, would the defense be able to show some signs of improvement? Those were all in the affirmative. But still, um, we see that, you know, it looks like Kansas and Iowa State are going to finish towards the bottom of the Big 12. So, you know, Baylor, a team that isn't having the season that a lot of people expected, frankly, probably they expected after winning the Big 12 championship a year ago, but still a very capable team and a team that, you know, if things fall right, they'll be towards the top of the league, um, towards the top half of the league at least. So I think there's still a question. It looks to me like the Sooner defense is more um, is more organized. So that's a positive sign. I think that was one of the big faults that we saw during that three-game losing streak, just guys looking completely out of place and confused about who's supposed to do what. So being more organized is no small thing for this defense. And I think having Billy Bowman back has been significant. Um, if he can continue to ramp up his snaps, I think that's a huge development for the for the Sooner defense. But I think a lot's going to be determined in the coming weeks. You know, obviously, Baylor this week, um, you know, I don't know if at West Virginia is seen as a major test, but the Mountaineers can definitely score, and uh, that's going to be a stress on the defense. And then obviously Bedlam and uh, Texas Tech to finish out, you know, teams again that have shown the ability to score. So I think uh, these next few weeks will be extremely telling for just how much better the Sooner defense is. Justin, when we uh, look at that, look at the improvement of, of the OU defense, what to you will be most telling when it comes to Saturday's game as far as an area that you're really looking to to see improvement that, that shows that this isn't just a – you know, the fact that they've gone against uh, especially an Iowa State offense that had no uh, no punch on the ground. But, uh, you know, what do you, what do you look for to show that there's improvement on the defense outside of just uh, total yardage and uh, obviously the scoreboard? Yeah, I think just the ability to get pressure on the quarterback, you know, that's kind of been an ongoing thing because they haven't been able to get – sacks they barely got their first one in conference play against Iowa State last weekend which is obviously in a step in the right direction but you know you, you'd be looking for them to be able to to really get it going up front because at the end of the day that's where it all starts so I mean they they progressed in that department against Iowa State you know they had I believe it was uh, four quarterback hurries and like we said the sack as well uh, but it's going to be a real test against Baylor I mean they've got a veteran offensive line uh, they've got multiple seniors 
um, up front there. So I think that's probably going to be the most telling thing is just how are they going to start off um, down in the trenches there? Yeah, and uh, Barry, you know, I, I look at – Justin mentioned this uh, Baylor offensive line. They are really experienced, uh, a, a veteran group, and, and behind them, they've got a freshman running back in Richard Reese who's just been fantastic of late, especially almost 800 yards rushing, averaging a, a touch over uh, five yards a carry. Um, in, in your mind – do you feel like one that defensive line is starting to perform uh, a, a little bit better and two are they going to be able to to figure out ways to uh, you know slow down that Baylor running game and Richard Reese specifically I uh, know I don't really see a lot of uh, optimism for any kind of recent performance on the defensive line Iowa State's the worst offense in the Big 12 so I think you sort of are what you are at this point. We're two-thirds of the way through the season. I think Baylor's a pretty tough test. Shapin's pretty good quarterback. You talked about the line. Reese and the other guys, I mean, Baylor's got playmakers, and they're a big, tough team. Uh, I think the Sooners are going to have to outscore Baylor to win this game. I don't know that Sooners can go in there and say, hey, let's, we're going to beat them 24-21 or 28-20. I mean, I think, I think Baylor's going to get north of 30. And I think to stay in the game, the Sooners are going to have to do the same. And, and uh, going going back to you, Jenny, uh, flipping over to that offensive side, you know, we saw uh, you know sort of the opposite there when you talk about uh, the the numbers that the OU offense put up on Saturday versus the the defense. Dylan Gabriel, not the best game that he's had numbers wise. Uh, less than 150 yards passing, but uh, fairly uh, efficient there. Made some some good decisions. You know, what to you is the key for OU's offense against a a, a Baylor defense that uh, has a lot of talent over there. Yeah, let's remember too that you know obviously that Iowa State defense is you know no joke. Um, they they're able to limit a lot of teams, and um, you know they've had their times when. Uh, you know, Texas got uh, some points rolled up on them, but um, I think that's a very capable defense. So, uh, you know, I think that's, I think that's definitely a, a tip of the cap to the Cyclones and what they're able to do defensively. But I think against Baylor, you know, the Baylor defensive line, you were talking about the Baylor offensive line, the Baylor defensive line is very, very good. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to have one of their best games that offensive line is uh, managing that Baylor front. You know, we've seen a lot of really good things out of the, the OU offensive line. And, and to me, you know, other than maybe Eric Gray and the way he's exceeded a lot of expectations, I think that offensive line has as well. So I think to have success, you want to see that offensive line clear the way for the running game, obviously protect Dylan, protect Dylan Gabriel. But, you know, I think if they can clear some space for Eric Gray to get out in space, uh, you know, that's going to be huge because, uh, you know, Gray is really effective. He's been really good for them. So, in the same way that Iowa State's going to want to get their running game going, I think Oklahoma's running game offensively is going to be pretty darn important. Yeah, and uh, Justin, the Sooners right now number ninth in the league, in, number nine in the league in uh, sacks allowed. They've allowed 17. Uh, pretty big gap there to 10th between 17 and 30 uh, for Texas Tech. But Baylor's 
defense has gotten after it. Uh, 17 sacks for them for uh, 113 yards. They're uh, fourth in the Big 12, I believe. How how big of a test is this for, for Oklahoma's offensive line? In one, uh, protecting Dylan Gabriel, but two, continuing to open up space for uh, Eric Gray in that running game the way that they've done so well uh, over these last few weeks. Yeah, it's a big test, like you mentioned. I mean, they've got plenty of guys up front. Baylor does, Gabe Hall being the biggest one. He's got three and a half sacks on the season. They've even got linebackers that have managed to to create a lot of pressure as well. So, I mean, it's going to be a tough test. But, I mean, if, if there was going to be a tough test for a certain group that you feel good about, the offensive line for OU has been one of the more consistent groups for the team this entire season, one of the few ones that has continued to improve. So, I think – you got to feel good at least in what you've been seeing out of the offensive line. And then you look at guys that they're protecting. I mean, Eric Gray has done a good job of just making people miss, kind of making something out of nothing. Dylan Gabriel has showed a lot more patience, uh, composure as well lately. So it, it's going to be a tough test for sure. But, I mean, from what you've seen lately, it seems like like specifically in the offensive line, the group has been doing a pretty good job so far. Yeah, they really have. I, thought, I think Anton Harrison has been really – good over there you know it's interesting the way that they've used uh robert congel the last couple of weeks has come on to replace uh mckay Matower, a little bit of uh, uh shared duties there at one of the guard spots but outside of that they've been really consistent with that group since wanya morris uh, came back in but uh barry i want to ask you about another one of ou's offensive weapons that we've seen really be up and down lately, and that's Marvin Mims. We've seen him be, you know, fantastic at times, but uh, has disappeared in others. Just had the one catch for minus two yards against Texas. Of course, that was a big part of that was the fact that they didn't have anybody to get him the ball, but uh, just had a couple catches for 16 yards against Iowa State, had a couple of drops, and has has really uh, been – it's been a lot of peaks and valleys uh, for him, how important is it for the Sooners uh, to to get him going on Saturday, even with the success that Eric Gray's had on the ground, and especially the success that uh, Jaleel Farouk has had, starting to uh, find a bigger and bigger role in this offense. I think it's pretty clear that Mims is either beat up or injured on some level. Um, He's not playing anywhere near as well as he has in the past. What that means for the Sooners is, I don't know, it's not as deep of a receiving room as everybody at once thought. Farouk is playing very well and has turned into a playmaker. That's very good. But, you know, Theo Weiss is sort of a forgotten guy. Um, Drake Stoops you always have. But I, I think the Sooners need Mims fairly badly. And they're not going to be as top of flight, not as not as good on offense as they could be until he gets back in the groove. So I think that's something to keep an eye on going forward is his explosiveness, his playmaking. Without that, you know, Dylan Gabriel's offense becomes much more limited. Yeah, it, it certainly does. You mentioned Theo Weiss. He uh, didn't have any catches on uh, on on Saturday against uh against Iowa State just uh just has uh let's see what is this 15 catches uh this year 
So certainly hasn't been the kind of playmaker that he's shown to be in the past. But Jalil Farouk has been really good, was their leading rusher, or not their leading rusher, their second leading rusher, I should say, on uh, Saturday in Iowa State. He's got uh, 20 catches, 216, uh, 269 yards, uh, a couple of touchdowns, has, has had uh, some, some really big plays. And really, they found different ways to use him in the offense, uh, Jenny, we've seen some uh, some experimentation with Jaleel Farouk offensively, but also a couple different things from from Jeff Levy lately. What do you what do you think about the way that uh, Jeff Levy has has mixed things up with this offense? It seems like it's uh, you know he's trying to be creative and, and do some different things to try to uh, break them out. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, uh, you know, clearly when Dylan Gabriel was injured, it was forced creativity. They, you know, they had to look around for some different options and they did. I mean, I think finding uh, a few guys that you could direct snap it to wildcat it to, I think that was huge because now they have seen a, some different maybe uh, abilities and skill sets that weren't, I mean, not to say you didn't know that, um, you know, uh, you know, Braden Willis could catch it and move around and run over some guys. But, you know, I think it gives you some different ideas about what may be possible. So I think that that is probably the spark for what we're seeing now. And I'm not saying that if Dylan Gabriel doesn't get hurt, that they don't do those things uh, and add some of those twists and and some of the things we're seeing. But that sure didn't, uh, you know, I think that I think that opened a door to some things that um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, obviously the rest of the year what they do. But then you know, what does that look like moving forward? Do they maybe do more uh, unconventional things with some players that, you know, in coming seasons as they, you know, look to, you know, be as multidimensional as they can on offense? I just think it's an interesting uh, jumping off point that, you know, obviously nobody wanted to see Dylan Gabriel get hurt and that definitely changed the whole tenor of the season. But if it, uh, you know, it does have a positive, maybe it is that some of these other guys are worked into the offense in creative ways. And is that something moving forward that Jeff Lubby does in the future? I think it's worth watching. Yeah, it certainly will be. It, it really has been interesting watching some of the, the different things uh, that, that he's done uh, with that offense, not only with uh, Jalil Farouk and, and some of the Wildcats stuff that they've done, but, uh, you know, did a lot of uh, putting guys in motion, on Saturday, we saw it with Drake Stoops. We saw it with Gavin Freeman uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, Justin, and one thing that was interesting in that Iowa State game was, and I wrote about this in, in Monday's paper, was the the line change that OU pulled off, uh, rolling in uh, eight new players uh, for a series. It was just three plays, just uh, just real quick, but was interesting to see, one, the philosophy of uh, doing that, that change, moving – that many guys out, especially replacing everybody on the offensive line except for Andrew Rame at center, and uh, getting uh, some some younger players a chance to be on the field in meaningful snaps, and really it seemed like put them in good position to have some success just with three plays. Those were sort of scripted out by uh, 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 Jeff Levy, but do you anticipate this becoming a regular thing? And uh, how can something like that help uh, the Sooners, you know, whether it's uh, on the field with success in those those plays specifically or uh, developing 
uh, some of those younger guys to have an impact uh, later this year. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been an ongoing thing for us this season is kind of talking about when is it time to start to look a little bit to the future, you know, on some of these these younger guys and give them some more opportunities. And, I mean, I don't mind, especially if it's just for short bursts, to keep put them in there, let them get some experience. Um, so that way maybe they're not as shell-shocked when they have to get thrown in or if they have to get thrown in due to an injury or something like that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the guys who came in were guys that definitely there's some intrigue around them. I mean, look at guys like L.V. Bunkley-Shelton who got in there. I mean, he did some nice things at Arizona State. Gavin Freeman and Jaden Gibson. Freeman has had a few really big plays whenever he has gotten touches. And then Jaden Gibson has the size and um, that makes him sort of an intriguing guy. Jason uh, Llewellyn as well. So, yeah, I mean, these are guys that – definitely have some potential are going to need some reps in order to to reach that potential so to, to bring them out them for some short bursts like that i think it's it's definitely beneficial moving forward and barry can you ever remember something like that happening where uh you know they they rolled out that many uh new guys just for a a, a short burst uh like that no it's 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 sort of a novel concept um I'm intrigued by the by the wholesale nature of it. I mean, it's what receivers and running backs they get platooned all the time. Um, offensive linemen, not so much. If you're going to do that, I was I was intrigued why you do it with an entire line. Sands the center. I don't know why you wouldn't mix and match throughout the quarter or something. Um, but it obviously works pretty good, so I find it interesting. I'm also reminded of last season when Alex Grinch's defense got constantly criticized for not playing his best players enough. You know, Winfrey and Benito and Isaiah Thomas, that crowd would play, I don't know, 70% of the snaps, 75% of the snaps. People say, why aren't these guys playing more? You know, I think it's a legitimate question now. Um, you know, the Thunder, the, this is not Thunder. This is not building for the future. They're not trying to get a good draft pick. You know, you developing young players is good. Beating Iowa State is paramount, though. So I found the philosophy a little strange, but it worked. So I you can't criticize something that works. Yeah, three plays, uh, 29 yards, had a couple, got a couple first downs out of it, and then got them off the field. I think the biggest thing for them is that they – found a, a few plays they had a, a little swing pass over there to, to eric gray out of the backfield a, a jet sweep play with gavin freeman and then a, a gabriel keeper i think that they they found a, a few plays that they felt good about both with their chances to have success against what iowa state was doing defensively and also with the guys that they rolled out there on the field to give them uh you know a, a little bit of uh, momentum a little bit of feel good and then get them off there and uh you know get those other guys in and certainly wind up working out all right they did have to uh do a, a fake field goal there to score a touchdown on that drive but they still did score so uh, i'm not sure we're going to see it every game we saw a version of it against tcu didn't uh include the offensive line in that one but uh it, it's not going to surprise me if it pops up you know one or two more times uh, during the season. But, you know, Jenny, when we look at this team overall, you know, we talk about those, those offensive players who were on the field uh, for, for that drive. 
Brent Venables talked about, you know, the ongoing conversation about red shirts and, and things like that. We saw some some more young players on the field for significant snaps on Saturday. You know, Gentry Williams, Robert Spears Jennings again. Um, you know, once again, uh, Robert Mason Thomas or R. Mason Thomas, excuse me. Um, any of those guys do you think are going to play bigger and bigger roles here uh, during, down the stretch than they have uh, to this point? I mean, it seems possible, right? Because, I mean, there were some guys that, you know, there was a point in the year where, you know, guys like Kip Lewis and uh, Jaron Kanak and that crew, you know, oh, they're not ready, they're not ready, they're not going to play. And then, you know, before you know it, they're seeing more and more time. So I definitely think that's a possibility. I thought it was interesting, you know, anymore, um, or at least in recent years, it's felt like the idea of redshirting guys has become almost not a non-starter, but something you don't hear a lot about. Um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of redshirting going on the last few years at OU. Um, I've even had conversations with Mike Gundy up at OSU about redshirting, and he kind of says, you know, it's really like if a guy's at all capable, there's a limited chance of redshirting. Um, they're just going to play guys because I think any more coaches see the, the portal, they see, you know, obviously a short three years before a guy could declare for the NFL, whether he's ready or not, he can do it. Um, so, you know, they're sort of working on a limited time clock. And so I thought it was interesting to hear um, Brent talking about redshirting guys to start with earlier this year. But then as he talked about it earlier this week, you know, talking about potentially as they build up positions, if they've had to play guys early, possibly redshirting them in the future as older players. And that really is something we don't see a lot of. So um, I think it's all fascinating because, you know, this is, this is not, even though we know Brent Venables from his earlier days at OU, we don't know him as a head coach and we don't know him as intimately in the last decade as a coordinator and how he's operated. So to sort of have some things come up where you're like, oh, maybe that's how things will go now. It's just been interesting to sort of hear the the differences and, you know, whether it works out or not, I have no idea. He's obviously had to change plans on who he thought would play to start with some of those younger guys. So anything's possible, but I did think it was interesting to hear him talking about how he's used red shirts in the past, how he could use them at OU. And to me, that opens the door wide to a lot of different scenarios potentially for, for young guys and frankly, guys that are maybe a little bit older on the roster as time goes on. Yeah. What about you, Barry? What did you, uh, make of that and what what Brent Venables had to say about uh you know that process and 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 going through it and thinking that through here uh near the end of the season well I think coaches by and large are have been a little slow to come to grips with this but they're they're learning red shirting is becoming more of a Two, two, it's two things. A guy is just completely not ready to play. Can't put him on the field. Or when guys get hurt and you have to sit there and wonder about, you know, are they going to be able to get in five games? Look at, look at what's even before the transfer portal. Red shirting was becoming less of a deal because if a player turned out to be a pretty good player, a really good player, you might have him only three seasons anyway because he's going to jump to the draft as quick as he can. Now with the portal, basically 
you're not assured that that player's future is yours. So this idea of saving him for 2026 or 2025, that's not a very smart strategy. If a guy can help you or if a guy could benefit from playing, I think more and more coaches are realizing, it's sort of like what Jacko said about Gundy, you just got to play guys. When it's time to play, if, if you need them or, or they can play, you got to play. The red shirting thing is, is uh, becoming uh, sort of passe very, very quickly. Yeah, and Barry, I think that's most maybe most illustrated by the offensive line where generally offensive linemen aren't ready to go as, as freshmen. So a lot of times those guys have gotten redshirted unless they're forced to roll into the starting lineup. You know, we saw, uh, who was a Drew Samia, I think, uh, started as a freshman. Um, it's been, as uh, I was to say, a few years ago. It's been more than a few years ago at this point. But, you know, guys like Jacob Sexton, who's played in six games, and, and Jake Taylor, who's played in six. Each of those guys were part of that rotation that we talked about earlier on the offensive line. Those are guys that I, I think would have been redshirted without any – doubt in the past and now they're uh you know finding their way on the field uh for uh you know uh more games than that redshirt rule allows yeah that, well, you, if i don't know if you were asking me to yeah to, uh, respond but yeah that. but yeah it's it, this is a case of you know for so long this goes for a lot of things in college football. For so long, there was a set way of doing things. Heck, even when they went to this four-game limit, if you stayed under five games, you could redshirt. I remember we had the staff meeting at the paper, and we decided this would be a cool thing. We'll count freshmen, particularly freshman games, and a running count for seeing when you can't redshirt anymore. Well, turns out a much bigger factor on that five-game or that four-game limit it's not freshmen, it's veterans who might decide, you know what, I think uh, I may just, uh, after four games, the season's not going great. Maybe I'll just pull out and, and not play anymore. We saw that with Jalen McCleskey up at, at OSU a few years ago. We saw that with the Houston quarterback, whose name escapes me now, but he trans- ended up transferring to Miami. And you're seeing guys that are sort of out looking out for their own careers, um, in terms of the future, much more than the team future for what they're the, the team that they're on. So sometimes we just we, things change so quickly in college football, particularly with this portal and NIL and all the things everybody knows about, that we just don't know what are the motivations anymore. And and we're so, sometimes we can be stuck in the old thought process that's really meaningless. Um, like I said, to me, the whole the whole red shirting question is this: Can a guy help you now? Um, can he play at all? And that's you know you can't you can't worry about it much beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, Derek King, I think, was the uh, the quarterback. That's him. That's him. Think about. Yeah. Um, Jenny, let's turn our attention to uh, the the college football playoff ranking that came out on Tuesday night. Figure if we're going to wait a day, we might as well uh, address what happened <laughs> on uh, Tuesday night. Even though this one, unlike uh, most of them, uh, hasn't involved OU, but 
what did you make of the way that the top of the uh, rankings shook out, particularly where TCU fell uh, at, at number seven? And don't you guys think that if TCU had on OU helmets or Texas helmets or Alabama helmets that they'd be in the top four? I mean, I think we can all agree that they've got a resume that if they were wearing one of those blue blood brands uh, running around in those jerseys and helmets, that their ranking would be higher than that. Last night, the committee chairman talked about them getting behind in games. Hey, guess what? You ranked them behind teams that not only got behind, but lost. So TCU not losing. I mean, being undefeated, beating four ranked teams uh, during that undefeated run. I mean, they're not, they're not one of the blue bloods. But if you look at the resume and strip away the name, to me, there's no question they should be ranked higher than they currently are at number seven. Well, I feel called out, Jenny, because I uh, do vote in the top 25. And uh, I've actually got TCU at number eight right now between a couple of one loss. Alabama and Oregon. (laughs) I I understand your point, but to me, the fact that TCU has played a a couple of those close games against teams that, uh, you know, maybe they shouldn't have been as close uh, with, particularly uh, the West Virginia game there that was really close there until TCU scored a touchdown there at the end. And um, with the, the resumes that Alabama and Oregon now. I'm not going to argue that Alabama probably wouldn't get the grace that they've gotten if they were anybody else, uh, but but certainly with their lone loss just coming to, to uh, Tennessee, uh, that that has me have them at number six right now, uh, by, uh, just ahead of Oregon, just behind Clemson on on my ballot. Uh, Justin, what about you? What did what did you think about it? And were there any other? Uh, surprises that stood out to you yeah I mean I think I could definitely see the argument that TCU should be higher at the same time I mean they also have had opposing quarterbacks go down which of course is not their fault not not something that should necessarily be counted against them but it does make the wins (laughs) you're you're gonna trigger OU fans here saying it's not their fault there with that (laughs) but but, you know I mean that does that does play a role in in some of those bigger wins that they've that they've been able to have um I mean, other than that, um, I'm happy to see Tennessee at the top. I've, they've been the team that I've been enjoying watching the most lately, just in terms of they continue to really surprise me and have continued to step up against some really good opponents. So, yeah, those are just some of the main ones. Um, yeah, I'm kind of looking through the list here right now. Um, cool to see Tulane there at 19. I mean, they've been also been a, a team that's been really surprising this season. Uh, those are just a few things that are kind of catching my eye right now. What about you, Barry? Um, we we talked about this a little bit on our way back home uh, the other day, but uh, you know, I, I rank Tennessee number one. They they come in, out uh, number one in the, the committee's rankings. Sort of a, a cool deal to see uh, for Josh Heupel. Obviously, this weekend will shake up that that top of the order. But you know, what what did you think about the the way that the committee lined things out? The initial rankings and i'll also say this tcu is going to have a chance to move up because if they're able to stay undefeated and and ultimately win the big 12 we've seen how the committee values conference championships versus you know a couple of those other teams ahead of them that aren't going to get a chance to to win the title i still think that tcu if it wins 
is pretty secure when it comes to the 14 playoff. But uh, what did you make about the way the committee uh, handled it overall, especially uh, the way that they uh, handled the Big 12 there with the uh, four teams we see in there? I didn't see – I didn't have a big problem other than uh, two schools that haven't been mentioned in this current discussion, and that's Michigan and Ohio State. Nobody centered on Alabama and Clemson, but the committee's love of Ohio State uh, continues year after year after year. The Buckeyes have beaten Notre Dame and Penn State, and yet, you know, they get they uh, get ranked ahead at Georgia. I think that's nonsense, personally. Um, but uh, Ohio uh, TCU is going to be fine. The committee's rankings is not near as alarming to me as the comments after the after the uh, ESPN show. Doesn't matter who's on the committee. Doesn't matter who the chairman is. Doesn't matter what teams we're talking about. The committee spokesman continues to just toss out this drivel year after year after year about balance. And, um, you know, the, the defense doesn't necessarily play all that well. Boo Corrigan yesterday said something about Georgia hasn't given up a first quarter touchdown all year or something. Who cares how many touchdowns you give up in the first quarter? This is just madness talking about these minute statistics that don't mean anything. Um, the committee has made it clear. If you win games um, with offense more than defense, they don't like you that much. Now, the one exception is if you beat Alabama, you've got their attention. So 52-49 Tennessee got their attention. But Ohio, uh, Ohio State apparently leads the nation in scoring defense. He sent me to the uh, schedule. The Buckeyes have played Toledo, Arkansas State, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, uh, Rutgers. Rutgers. I mean, at, well, you know what? I've actually misspoken. Illinois leads the nation in, in – uh, he mentioned this. Illinois leads the nation in scoring defense, and that's one thing they like about them. Illinois has played literally teams that couldn't get to 22 points if you let them block three punts inside the five-yard line. I mean, it's just nonsense. <laughs> And, and we might have to stop having these press conferences if the spokesman can't come up with better reasons. Just say, just say we, think T, we think Ohio State's better. We like beating Notre Dame and Penn State better than we like beating Oregon. Just say that. Don't give me this explosive offense, balanced defense stuff. Um, TCU's defense has actually not been bad this year. They gave up 30 in regulation to Oklahoma State. They gave up 28 to Kansas State. That's pretty good defense. They're not playing Iowa. They're not playing Rutgers. They're playing people that can move the ball. So if Illinois Illinois and uh, and, and, uh, uh, Ohio State don't have some of the best defenses in the country, that should be a problem. The Big Ten stinks in offense. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, for crying out loud. So that's the kind of thing. This use of statistics, this idea that not every seven-point win is made uh, equal, this idea that that, uh, statistics – are important in judging football teams. 
Um, we have a way of determining who is better at football. It's called the scoreboard, and we have an elaborate scoring system. If that scoring system is flawed, that's what we need to change. We, that's what we, we need to work on that more than worrying about this uh, committee committee uh, priorities. So hopefully it'll all shake out. I think if TCU wins out, they'll be in the playoff. I think if they don't win out, they won't be in the playoff. That's what I think. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I do think that they need to win out. But, uh, uh, Barry, I, I'm not sure if I want to do this again after uh, the, the soapbox moment, but uh, do you feel like that's the way the committee really goes about analyzing it? Or is it as simple as they rank their teams and then the chairman has to come up with an explanation for why – Team X is ahead of, uh, you know, Team Y? That's an outstanding question. I think the answer is probably a little bit of both. I've done the mock selection, though, and there were guys in there that got worked up about how teams won a game. Some guy was uh, the year, I think we looked at 2011 or something. I can't remember. But he's all fired up for Wisconsin because the Badgers had two losses and they'd lost both on Hail Marys. Well, I pointed out one of them was not a Hail Mary. One was a fourth down pass at the end of the game, but it's on the, from the 30-yard line, and it was a post pattern. But either way, do Hail Marys not count as full touchdowns? If those don't count, then let's, let's present it on the scoreboard that way. So there is that line of thinking that not all wins are created equal and that kind of thing. But I, I do think sometimes the committee chairman – faces pressure on how to answer questions. He's got to fill some time. People ask him, you know, sort of like, why do you like pepperoni better than sausage? Well, if somebody asked me that question, I really couldn't answer it. But guess what? I do like pepperoni better than sausage. <laughs> so, you know, some things are not answerable. I just, that's just what I think. So that it, it is a little bit of a problem. All right, Jenny, uh, a couple questions for you. First of all, pepperoni or sausage? <laughs> Give me pepperoni. That's a good choice. Can you defend your position? Uh, not really. And if if the sausage uh, the sausage uh, uh, lobby wants to come at me, I'll just say I like sausage at, at breakfast a whole lot. How's that for uh, right toe on the line? Come right down the middle at you. That works. But <laughs> uh, next question, we'll turn it uh, to uh, the last segment uh, of this uh, spaces. How do you feel like this game on Saturday is going to play out? You know, what, uh, what are your keys and, and what's your prediction? What are we looking at? Who you, who you want to talk? You want me to talk? Well, I was asking Jenny. Is she, okay. Did she uh, – We lose Jacko? I think we did here. We'll, uh, well, I can answer. Right. I can answer. Right. Yeah, go ahead, Barry. I think it's a tough game for OU. I think Baylor's pretty good. I think their offense is is much better than it was last year, and they won the Big 12 last year. Their defense is not as good, but it's still not bad. I think it's going to be a very tough game for OU. Um, I, I, I think uh, both sides are going to have to play really well. I think I think Baylor probably wins this game. 
Yeah, I think uh, – would you go with ba- Baylor 28-27, I believe, in your pick, Barry? I think that's what I said. All right. And uh, let's see. Jenny, uh, are you yep. back? Yep, sorry about that. Yep, I'm here. Yeah, I. this is a tough one to pick. I, I agree. I think this is, uh, you know, this is a game that's a one-possession game uh, in my mind. Of course, I never would have guessed I was going to Manhattan, Kansas last week to see a blowout. So what do I know? Um, but I got I got Baylor winning. And I, I've got them scoring a little bit more than Barry. I got 38-31 as my score. Um, you know, I but I think it could definitely be, you know, in the 20s type of game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think – I think it's going to be. I think there's going to be some points scored, but I just like Baylor a little bit better. They've. I think that defensive front can cause some havoc. Um, so I think scoring as much as OU needs to score might be a problem. Um, I think somebody said it earlier that you know Sooners are probably going to have to just outscore the Bears, and I think I think Baylor's defense is is good enough to 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 keep that from happening. But you know the history. Baylor's only won one time in Norman, so. If you're looking for a reason to uh, to th- to say the Bears uh, go home with defeat, that's as good as any. I think it it is going to be super close, though. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'll wait a second to give my prediction after uh, Justin. What's uh, what do you got on Saturday? Well, first off, let me say I'm more of a meat lovers person. I say expand <laughs> the <laughs> just for both Justin just wants all the meats. Yeah, there's room for both pepperoni and sausage if you expand the playoffs. That's my opinion. But um, I would probably go with also a very close one here. Um, I'm going to give it to OU just with a slight edge. I think that Marvin Mims is due for a bigger game. I really like what we've seen out of the offensive line, which has helped Eric Gray also been play really well as of late. Um, defense, of course, still going to be the question for OU. They've taken steps in the right direction, granted against – not the best offenses so far, but it, it seems like they this team in general has been progressing uh, in the right direction in the past few games. I think it's going to be a close one, but at home, I'll go ahead and give OU the uh, 31 to 27 win. Yeah, and I'm uh, right there with you, Justin. I picked OU to win 34 to 31. I think it's really tight, one that goes down to the wire, but the fact that it's in Norman. Uh, gives give the Sooners just a just a, a, a barely an edge in this one. I, I think OU has got to play well up front on both sides of the ball. They have to open up room for Eric Gray, protect uh, Dylan Gabriel, and then on the other side, they've got to make Richard Reese work for everything that he gets on the ground there. But I think with this, some of the improvement that we've seen out of the Sooners the last few weeks, it's not perfect, but they're able to score enough. Uh, to keep the Bears at bay and, and clinch uh, bowl eligibility uh, yet again uh, when it looked like a, a few weeks ago that that was uh, going to be in question. So we'll see what happens on Saturday in Norman, Baylor, Oklahoma. That's a 2 p.m. kickoff on uh, ESPN+. Plus. will be interesting uh, to see. Justin will actually have a story on the ESPN Plus uh, angle of things and tomorrow's Oklahoma Uh, Check that out. We'll see how the Sooners, if they're able to keep up uh, that momentum there. We'll be back after the game with another edition of the Sooners Extra uh, Twitter Spaces. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. Have a great week, and you can check out our work every day at Oklahoma.com and every morning in the Oklahoma for the best OU coverage anyway.